0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you on this Palm Sunday as we begin our Holy Week, where we see a full picture of Jesus as the Messiah. Our scripture lesson today, as we continue our series on power and passion, comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. It will be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, spoiler alert, the one who was about to betray him, said... Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. But you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The next day the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Out of all of the characters in Jesus' passion story, few have understood who Jesus truly was. And we know this Not by their words, but by their actions. Pontius Pilate, we began our journey with Pontius Pilate, he did wash his hands and claim innocence over Jesus' blood. But he did not believe Jesus was innocent. He was using Jesus as a political pawn to get the crowd to admit on their holiest of holy weeks that it was Caesar who was their king and not the God of Israel. And then we moved the next week to hear about Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, which means Jesus, Son of the Father. And Pilate releases Jesus Barabbas into the crowd rather than Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Son of Father, who could release the crowd itself from slavery to sin and death. Then we heard about Joseph of Arimathea, a follower of Jesus, though in secret. And we know that he was the secret follower of Christ. He came so close to understanding who Jesus was, he offered Jesus' body 75 pounds of ointment for his tomb. But the only reason you offer a body 75 pounds of ointment is if you think the body will be there for a long time. In other words, Joseph of Arimathea knew that Jesus was a great teacher and a powerful rabbi, but not not the Lord. Then we heard about Pilate's wife, who goes unnamed in the story, just like the wise men and also the centurion. They all saw that Jesus was more than the religious elite recognized, but then they, they disappear. They disappear from the story, never to return. And then there is Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Peter who proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. But also the one, when push came to shove, who said, I I do not know him. And then he fled and deserted Today we are finally introduced to a character who followed Jesus, anointed Jesus, stood at the foot of the cross, and was there first to see the empty tomb, Mary Magdalene. Our scripture begins with, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. John is telling us that this happens six days before the Passover, giving us some foreshadowing, giving us a clue that what we are about to read is a story of redemption, it is a story of liberation, it is a story of freedom, because we have Passover, Passover this great and troubling story of our faith. When God's people were in slavery in Egypt, God sent the angel of death To the land. And Moses tells the people to spread the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts so that this angel of death will pass over them. And it's a story in which Pharaoh's firstborn son was killed. The angel of death took him. And soon we will hear a story about how the angel of death took God's only begotten son not just for the liberation of God's people, the Jewish people, but for the salvation of all. They also gathered for a meal together. This reminds us of the meal that we share every Sunday when we proclaim that Christ's broken body and blood outpoured is the grand channel of grace. That brokenness of Christ is what makes us whole. It reminds us that we are God's Companions, literally, those who break bread with one another, creating room for the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. The meal also takes place in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the one Jesus raised from the dead, again, foreshadowing that the Lamb of God, who soon would be broken, would also, would also. Be raised. John leaves little to chance. He offers us foreshadowing after foreshadowing, showing us the end of the story. He even tells us when Judas appears in the story, this is the guy who is going to betray Jesus. John doesn't want us to miss anything. Then, then Mary enters, pours costly perfume upon Jesus' feet, cleans his feet. With her hair and fills the room with the fragrance. It is costly. It is extravagant. It's like bouquets at a funeral. It's because sometimes we just need to remember an extravagant, though fleeting, picture of beauty in the midst of our despair. Judas is quick to intervene saying, could this not have been used to aid the poor? <laughs> he says. Of course it could have been used to aid the poor, but Judas doesn't seem to be concerned with the money that he already has. It seems that Judas has not used any of his own money to aid the poor, but he's really concerned about how someone else is using theirs. It's a very Judas thing to care about. Judas is very quick to blame how others use their gift for getting the plank in his own eye. He doesn't want to alleviate the suffering of the poor. He wants to use them as a stick with which to beat his opponent, Jesus. The poor will be with you always, Jesus says. Another way of saying that is we will always be in ministry with the poor. If you want to be Methodist about it, it is works of mercy and also works of justice in tandem, working together. Or to put it another way, Give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. The problem is we need both of these things working in tandem. If we only feed, if we only feed, we're giving the poor just enough to be comfortable with staying where they are. If we only teach to feed and there's no room at the lake where he can fish, then his teaching is fruitless. We need both these works of mercy and these works of justice to change the world. Yes, we need to feed one another so that we have strength and nourishment for the teaching and learning. And we also need to make room at the lake so the teaching and learning will be fruitful. We need both works of mercy and also works of justice. Yeah, I've heard it said that if you want more people at the table to build a bigger table... That's not entirely true. We feed 450 people a Sunday with the grace of Jesus Christ, and that's the size of our table. It's because we come to the table, we are nourished, we are filled with grace, and then we are sent forth, leaving room at the table for someone else to come. That is hospitality. If we build a table big enough for all, we will still claim a spot and never move from it, but that is not the gospel. This movement around the table is necessary. The Holy Spirit calls us forward to be filled and nourished and also sends us out into the world, making room for the next soul to kneel. That's hospitality. Making room, making room for one another. It's not the size of the table, it is the size of the Spirit at work within us. We don't have to change the size of the table. We have to change our very heart. So when Judas speaks up, caring about how she's using her money, not his own, Jesus says, Leave her alone. Let her be. She's offering this perfume for the day of my burial. But she's offering it to Jesus while Jesus is very much alive. Why? It's because Mary knows that Jesus' burial has already been set in motion. His burial has already begun. She knows that when he enters into Jerusalem, the crowd will shout, Hosanna, which means save us. But they want salvation on their own terms. Therefore, they will turn on Jesus By the end of the week. She knows that Jesus is a king, but it is a king who offers himself as a sacrifice. As we hear from the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, this is Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, which means son of David, Jesus is a king. Yes, Jesus is our Lord. Yes, the head of the church, but also the son of Abraham, the one who was brought up the Mount of Moriah and offered as a sacrifice. A king born through offering and humbling himself, emptying himself, so that we might find transformation, so that we might find life, so that we might make room for all. Interesting, just before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the text uh, that Pastor Tim read this morning, Jesus says, go into the city and find someone with a cult and tell them, the Lord needs it but it will be back to you soon. I can't imagine what's going through the disciples' heads as they're going into Jerusalem, searching around for someone who has a cult, and when they find it, they begin to take it, not with payment, not with a badge. They just say, the Lord needs it, and it will be back to you. The Lord needs it. Sometimes when I think about Jesus, it's hard to think that the Lord needs anything at all. What does Jesus need? Curiously, this is our story. Jesus needed a colt. Jesus needed a young boy's lunch with fish and loaves to feed the multitude. Jesus needed the servants to fill the six stone jars with water so that the water might be transformed into wine. And as we heard from the week on Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus needed a tomb. But listen to the words... The Lord needs it, but will send it back shortly. Jesus needed the tomb, but not for long. What does the Lord need from us? It's not because Jesus is deficient or is in want, but Christ wants to reveal That what we have can be used to offer abundant life to the world if we are willing to offer it. We offer fish and loaves and Jesus shows us that we can feed the multitudes. We offer water and Jesus transforms it into the best wine. We offer our beasts of burden so that Jesus might announce his Messiahship to the world. We even offer our tombs. And through Christ, they become symbols of everlasting life. You know, when you join the church, we ask you to offer your prayers, presents, gifts, service, and witness. We ask you to offer your prayers prayers of thanksgiving, but also prayers of confession, prayers of honesty with God. We invite you to offer your presence, warts and all. We invite you to offer your gifts, not coming to this place asking why aren't they using their money for the way that I want them to to offer our own gifts, for the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the transformation of the world. We ask you to offer your service, to not be afraid to get your hands dirty for the good of the kingdom, whether that is across the street, whether that is in Arizona or Cuba or wherever it is that God sends us. We ask you to offer your witness as well that we might proclaim Hosanna, that we might proclaim that Christ is the Savior of the world, that Christ is the one who emptied himself so that we might find abundant life. We ask you to offer your witness to the world to tell the good news. The world needs to hear good, good news. And may we be the messengers that offer that. What does Jesus need? What does the Lord require of you? (laughs) But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the one who carried the cross so that we might see what love truly is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, as Mary filled the room where Jesus and Lazarus dined with one another, as she filled that room with a fragrance pleasing to you, fill this place with prayers offered to be pleasing to you. May we fill this place recognizing the Holy Spirit moving among us, May we come to the table to be nourished by your grace and be sent forth, leaving room for the next soul to kneel. May we offer mercy. May we offer justice. May we both offer fish and teach how to fish so that the world might know transformation, so the world might know some good news. We give you thanks for calling us here today to revel in the mystery of your holiness. May your spirit remain with us all week as we meditate on this greatest story ever told. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit